best instrument panel we could, we could ever ask for. He gives us his word to help orient us correctly. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning to Psalm 135, verses 13 through 21. You can find this on page 520 of your pew Bibles if you have them. And we, as you're turning there, we are officially out of the Psalms of Ascent. So yay. So from everything we know, this was actually not sung by pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. This is just a good old-fashioned psalm, but one that is actually really helpful in orienting our, our praise, praise to God. So after praising the Lord for his works in the first several verses of this psalm, we're going to pick up in verse 13, and the psalmist continues. He says, Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. The idols of the nations are, are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. Blessed be the Lord from Zion. He who dwells in Jerusalem, praise the Lord. So the main idea, the big, the big, the big idea that I want us to, to consider tonight is how having the right orientation of the glory of God compared to the foolishness of idols should result in praise to him. That having the right orientation, the right mindset, the right picture, the right understanding, if you will, of, of the glory of God compared to the foolishness of idols should result in praise to him. And what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through these verses and hopefully see, see these points and draw applications from them. So first off, the glory of God. So right away in, in this section, we are faced with with what our position is in this universe, or more rightly, what God's position is. Look with me at, verse, at the first part of verse 13. Your name, O Lord, endures forever. So we see God's name is eternal. His name endures forever, and it has endured forever. So before time even began, before the, the sun, the moon, stars, the, the weeks, months, years, seconds, whatever you think of time, before any of that existed, God existed with all of his perfections and with all of his greatness. And his name will continue enduring forever. Look at the second part of, of verse 13. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. So throughout all ages, ages that seem so distant to us, ones that we think of in the Old Testament or from years and years ago, this age that we're living in now and all the ages to come, his name will endure forever. And it's really just incredible to think of the billions and billions of people that, that have walked on this earth. Ones that seemed so magnificent in their own day. Ones that did great works. Just truly how many names have been forgotten. Even those famous names and the famous works that have been done, they fade over time. But God's name will not. And his name will outlive all the ages and will never be forgotten. And some of you may have that little footnote on, on that word renown that says remembrance. So the Lord's remembrance will be known throughout all the ages. And what will he be remem remembered for? Well, one of the ways is there in verse 14. Look at, at verse 14. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. 
So the Lord is going to get the glory, and he's going to be remembered for how he vindicates and has compassion on his, on his people. Now, I know, brothers and sisters, for many of us, it, it may not feel like this. We might feel like God has forgotten us. We can be asking ourselves, where is this vindication? Where is this compassion? Because if we're being honest, it doesn't feel like that. We see the wicked prospering around us. We, we are wronged, and it seems like people are just getting away with it. When we look around, we see Christians around the world being mocked and persecuted and, and killed for their faith. And by worldly standards, honestly, the world is in fact winning. But by God's standards, remember the one who we just thought about, the one who is infinite, the one who is eternal, the one who is so high above us, the, the one whose name will never be forgotten, the one who is utterly set apart from sin and uncompromising in his greatness. Well, by his standards, friends, we have already been vindicated and we've already known his compassion through Christ. This is, this is what it means to be a Christian. And if you're here today and you're not a, a Christian, um, you just need to know that, that Christians are not morally nice people who pray to prayer and, and just do a lot of good things. No, Christians, we were, as, as Christians, we were all dead in our, in our trespasses. We were all dead in our sins with no ability to save ourselves. We were in opposition to our Creator, and we were all bound for hell. But because of God's grace and, and His mercy that we even thought about this morning, because of His compassion, He saved us through Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross and rose again. God rose him again, showing that that he accepted Christ's sacrifice. And this is what we're going to be celebrating as Christians. This is what we're going to be remembering for all of eternity, for all the ages to come. And that's good news. But unfortunately, we're not there yet. And so the sin that, that, that is still around us can still easily ensnare us. And so we need to be aware of the idols of our hearts and continuing seeking to put those, those idols to, to death because when we think about it, those are, they are utterly foolish compared to the glory of God. And that's what I want us to look at next, the foolishness of idols. Look with me at verses 15 to 17. The idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. So you can almost picture the psalmist here saying, so, so what's the point of creating mouths if they're not going to say anything? They can't even breathe. How, how are they going to help you? What's, what's the point here of, of carving them eyes if they can't even see? Why do you take the time to carve little ears if they can't even hear your prayers? Well, John Thomas was a, a missionary to, to India, and he was traveling through the country one day when he saw a great number of people waiting outside in an idol temple, waiting to go in. And one author that was with him, he writes that, that John, uh, he, he went, went up to them, and as soon as the doors were open, he walked into the temple, and seeing an idol raised above the people, he walked boldly up to it, held up his hand, and asked for silence. He then put his fingers on its eyes and said, It has eyes, but it cannot see. It has ears, but it cannot hear. It has a nose, but it cannot smell. It has hands, but it cannot handle. It has a mouth, but it cannot speak. Nor is there any breath in it. Well, the author writes that instead of doing injury to him for affronting their God and themselves, the natives were all surprised. Until one of the elderly natives was so convinced of his folly by what Mr. Thomas had said that he also cried out, It has feet, but cannot run away. 
the people raised a shout, and being ashamed of their stupidity, they left the temple and went to their homes. As Paul puts it in Romans 1, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of God, of, of the immortal God, for images resembling mortal man. And why would they do this? Why give eyes and, and ears and, and mouths? Well, frankly, it's because then the idols will look like them. And isn't that the issue of every idol that we have? That we want idols to conform to our image, not God's. We want idols to conform to things that we know or are comfortable with, not God. We want idols to suit our interest, not God's. We want ourselves to be the center of our worship, not God. And if you think that's not true in today's age, I would just encourage you to even look at Facebook and Instagram that has, that has filters to make pictures of yourself look even better. And I'm not saying you're, you're in sin if you use those filters, but, but Christians, we need to stop putting ourselves at the center of our worship. We are already new creations in Christ. Spurgeon said about these verses that he said, it's the height of insanity to worship metallic manufacturers. Idols are fitter to be played with like dolls for babies than to be adorned by grown-up men. Now, we, while we may not have little gold or little silver idols set up in our house, friends, we do have other idols that put us at the center of our, of our worship. We have our image, wisdom, eloquence, our work, notoriety, our bank accounts, money, food, and even relationships. And apparently, even our time, as we've seen over the last couple of days with whatever, with whatever driver keeps getting in front of our, our pastoral staff. So, and brothers and sisters, we need to know that golden idols of, of created things seem a little silly. They seem a little foolish to us living in today's age. But friends, don't think that our modern-day idols are any less foolish, any less reprehensible, any less irrational in the sight of a holy God. Look at verse 18. Those who make and worship and trust in their idols become like them. And that is the scary thing about worshiping created idols. The people set out to make idols after themselves, but in reality, it's actually the idols that end up making people like themselves, destroyed, ruined, and unable to stand before a holy God. And this is also a good reminder that we become more and more like what we look to in our worship. And when we look to the world, we become more and more like the world. And in the time of judgment, worldly things are unable and worthless to save us. And so Christians, we need to be asking ourselves that when we are in need, what do we turn to? What do we look to for help? Are we turning to the world or do we turn to God? When we're looking for comfort, when we're looking for escape, when we're looking for joy, when we have sorrow, what are the things that we are turning to? Well, my prayer is that we would, we would turn to God, and that's certainly where the psalmist turns. So when we consider the glory of God, and we would look at the foolishness of idols to save us, our right response should be one of praise. Praise that we worship a God who is not crafted by the works of human hands. And we worship a God who is not limited by human imagination. And look, that's where the psalmist turns. Look with me at a right response, verses 19 through 21. O house of Israel, bless the Lord. O house of Aaron, bless the Lord. O house of Levi, bless the Lord. You who fear the Lord, bless the Lord. 
Blessed be the Lord from Zion, he who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So the psalmist is calling on all of Israel to bless the Lord, to speak well of him, to praise him. And then he also calls on the high officials and the priests, the the houses of Aaron and Levi there. And then he calls on anyone who's really not in either one of those two camps, but still who fears the Lord. He calls on them to bless the Lord. And you see from the beloved Mount of Zion to the chosen city of Jerusalem, all should praise him. And so that's a reminder that we should be a praise-filled people for our God is a glorious God. And he's going to be remembered for all of eternity for how he has redeemed us through Christ. So in Colossians, Paul talks about how Jesus is the image of, of the invisible God. So we don't make images or idols of God because, first of all, everything that we would try to, try to create would just fall, far, fall short, or fall very fall short, or very short. So even, even if we tried creating, using created things to image an uncreated God, it would just fall short. But secondly, and most importantly, he's already given us his image in Christ. And Christ is the exact opposite of created idols, and he is worthy to save. So consider that, that Jesus has eyes that have seen our afflictions. He has ears that hear the prayers of his people. He has hands that have healed many wounds. He has feet that have walked on this earth. He has a mouth that speaks words of comfort to his people and words of judgment to those who reject him. Christian, he has hands and feet that were pierced for our transgressions. He has a back that was beaten for our sins. He has a head on which a crown of thorns was mockingly placed. He has a mouth that breathed and then stopped. And then three days later, breathed again. Amen. He has a name that will endure forever. So unlike created idols that are worthless to save, Jesus Christ can. He is the great high priest who intercedes for us on our behalf. And this is not just for our salvation. But friends, this is for, this is for our ongoing battles against idols. This so is why idols can cloud our vision. They can disorient us for who we really are in Christ. We must pray that, that we would have grace. That we, would, we would have the right orientation, both of God's glory, his majesty, his greatness, and who we are in Christ compared to the foolishness of our idols. And let's, let's do that now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we admit that we are idol makers. Father, we constantly seek to, to create idols that, after ourselves, that we can worship, that put us at the center of our worship. And Lord, we, um, this text even just reminds us of how utterly foolish that is. Lord, we pray that you would help us to behold your glory, your greatness, your majesty. Lord, we praise you for the grace and the mercy and the identity that we have in Christ. Lord, we ask that as we go from this place, Lord, that you continue to help us, give us eyes to see the foolishness of of these idols that we have. And Lord, that we would put all the trust and all the confidence, all the more, in Jesus Christ for salvation. We pray in your son's name. Amen.